Welcome to Grace 360, a vibrant discussion on issues of diversity that we hope is engaging, biblical, and slightly entertaining. The goal of these podcasts is to create a healthy, honest, and helpful discussion for Christian educators, parents, and students from a biblical perspective on current cultural issues relating to diversity. Diversity, for our purposes, is related to the acrostic grace, gender, race, age, ability, culture, and economic status. While we don't have all the answers, we hope our discussion is thought-provoking and helpful. Welcome to Grace 360. Well, hello all. I am so excited today. Today, I have the incredible honor of introducing one of my mentors, someone who is a brother in Christ and a forerunner in this work, someone who has had an incredible impact on my life, but also on schools across the nation and across the world. And since I will butcher his background, his experience, everything that he is, I'm going to let him introduce all that and um, explain how involved he is in the work of diversity equity and inclusion in a Christian school setting. So excited to have you, Dr. Gant. Um, you are a hero of mine. And so if you wouldn't mind just introducing your background in this work. Oh, well, thank you, Sister Jenny. It's, a, it's an honor uh, to be with you. And as you know, um, I, 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 welcome, I welcome this opportunity, particularly because of my biggest concern here is along the lines of Romans chapter two, when Paul said to the people of God, and this is it's just be very, very sobering. At the, uh, at, the, at the end of that chapter, near the end of that chapter, Paul says to the people of God, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Think about that. <laughs> And how the people of God, in mis misrepresenting him, mm. you know, the, the one thing we absolutely don't want to do is that his name would be blasphemed. We, uh, we, we, we're here that his name might be glorified. Amen. We were created for his glory. Yeah. And so then what contributes to the, the people of the world, the, the Paul would say the Gentile, what contributes to the Gentiles, the people of the world, blaspheming God's name? And it's not because of their idolatry or anything, it's because of what they see mm. in the behavior of the people of God. And what is that behavior? When we misrepresent them, mm. when we act in a way that doesn't look like him or we, we do things that are totally contrary to his heart, his will, his way. And so that's why I, I welcome this opportunity. Not, we're not talking about diversity for diversity's sake, like as you've said so many, many times. You know, we're not, trying to, we're not talking about optics here yeah. in terms of, you know, we have, look at, look at the representation that we have. Let me tell you something, saints. It's the glory of God. Mm -hmm. It's the glory of God that is at the heart of what we are endeavoring to do. Amen. And it is absolutely critical to know that all babies mm -hmm. are created in his likeness. Amen. All children are fearfully 
and wonderfully made. Amen. God doesn't have a second class, a lower class creation of his people. The blood of Jesus was shed for every, mm -hmm. every child, right? God has assigned angels to every child who looks into his face, yes. always representing them so that he will issue the warning, be careful. Be extremely careful that you do not offend even the least of one of these, my little ones, because in that case, it would be better if you had a millstone tied around your neck, neck and cast into the middle of water. So uh, from that standpoint, so my background is this. I became a Christian uh, 50 years ago. October 13, 1971, at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> and a member of a large white evangelical church introduced me to Christ at the Alabama State Fairgrounds, at the Alabama State Fair. Huh. The last night of the fair, just before closing, she shared the gospel with me. I invited Christ into my heart. Fireworks started. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and but most significantly, this was my introduction introduction into the world of whites. Up to this point, I did not know. Growing up, now I'm, I, I am a junior in high school. Growing up, I did not know a single white person. Oh wow! I, did not have a relationship with a single white person. Okay. In my life, I'm in eleventh grade in high school. All of my schools were were fully. Uh, segregated. You know, I went to all black schools until uh, until at this point very recently. But I didn't know anybody. And so this church then embraces me. The an associate minister of the church starts discipling me in a Bible study, etc. Uh, they are so it, they are so intrigued by. I'm just. I'm a sponge at this point, Sister Jenny. I'm just absorbing everything uh, in, in God's word. And, 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 and so they encouraged me to go to Bible college. Okay. You know, I was, my mind was set on being an engineer. Huh. I enrolled in the University of Alabama, started in engineering, uh, was doing well. But then one night I had one of those crisis of the faith moment, right? Yes. And I, I mean, it, it just struck me. God, hit, it thing hit me. So I, I, I literally fell out of my bed onto my knees. And the word of God came so clearly to me. One day, a degree in engineering would come to an end. Wow. Then what would you do? Right. And that night I surrendered a second time to the Lord. Lord. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I enrolled in Columbia Bible College. And now my introduction into the world of white conservative evangelical now becomes an immersion. I'm baptized now. I'm the only black male living on campus. Wow. <laughs> and then, 
in this school and we're talking about now we're into the uh, uh, mid-seventh or early and we're in the early mid-seventies. And I would assume no teachers, no one else. <laughs> yeah. Zero, zero, no other African-American male. Cynthia was the only African-American female, my wife, who became my wife, only African-American female on this campus. And so now, get this, Sister Jenny, I'm eating with them. I'm studying. I'm, I'm living in a dorm. I'm, I mean, now this guy who before had zero contact with white people, my only contact. It's with them, right? Yeah. And so now I'm getting very immersed in the culture. Yeah. Which to me, like with you, right? I'm over, you oversee it. But I'm getting immersed into a very foreign culture. Yeah. Uh, the culture I heard about, knew it, I mean, saw on TV, but had no experience with it. And you weren't prepared. Nobody, pre- like when we go, you talk about a culture shock. Yes. <laughs> uh, this was a shock, but my sister, but I'm so immersed at this point. Uh, and now I'm learning things, right? In my sophomore year, you know, we were required to go to church. Okay. And, and so, I'm, not, I'm in South Carolina. I don't know any churches there myself. So I'm going to church with my classmates, right? My dorm mates and stuff. And so this particular Sunday, I said, hey, to my roommate, who eventually became the best man at my wedding. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I said, hey, let's go to your church this Sunday. He hesitated. Come on, you know, kind of pause a little bit. He said, "Yeah, well, yeah, let's do that." He, he didn't. He went. He, he lived in Augusta, which was about forty minutes to an hour away. He said, "Yeah, let's do that." I like to see what happens. <laughs> I'm thinking, "Oh, what do you mean? What happens?" Oh, wow. And he says, um, "He said, well, the deacons will escort you out of church. A church." Hmm. Deacons would escort you out. Mm. And I said, why? He said, because our church is segregated. We don't believe in knowledge. We don't, that church now, we're the people of God. And this was so, what year? Let's call this 75. Okay. Ish. Okay. okay. They would escort you out. And so I said, on what basis? He said, well, they would say, the scriptures say, teach that birds of a feather flock together. Mm. That's their basis for segregation. Well, if you had to ask for a book, chapter, verse, right? Yeah. So then I graduate from there, and I'm hired by this church now. And, of course, this is 77. And this church is doing something absolutely unheard of in Birmingham, Alabama, of hiring a black staff, so a black, black ministerial church. staff. It was a predominantly white church. No, it was an all white church. So they hired me because to be the outreach director. Oh. 
to be the outreach director, to uh, you know work in the in the inner city. You know, it was it, so it was missional. Okay. It was the same. This church was very very big on missions, and so this was called home missions. And I would be their uh, outreach director into the black community. That's the that's the term that we use. And and, um, and so here I'm just I'm sharing and giving you my background. Yes. On this to, to bring me up to date because I think all this would be relevant to to uh, what we are up against. Mm-hmm. And what, I mean, what, what not just what we're up against, but what it's going to what, what the, the assignment that we would have. And so. I'm on staff, only on black on staff. And, you know, this church has done something extraordinary. But <clears throat> it's growing. It's, bec- it's really becoming a mega church. Oh, wow. And it's they're growing, they're hiring, bringing in new, new staff. And then there were only two of us on staff who had Bible college degrees, right? Uh, t- besides the senior pastors, only two of us. I was one of them. I'm graduated from Columbia Bible College. Mm-hmm. Well, on the staff, and every year around budget time, we would get, you know, look at budgets, and it was kind of like open kind of thing. You could see what everybody was, you know, their salaries were, their packages. And I was at the, I was always at the very bottom. Uh, I started out making $600 a month. Oh, wow. And so. And you were and so, one of- the few with the Bible degree. Right, right. <laughs> and, so, and so this particular time, I went to the, the church administrator who was really the CFO. She first really CFO and CEO of the uh, of the organization. And I said, hey, uh, these guys are coming in and they're making this kind of dollar. I said, what what do I need to do? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm assuming that they're that they're related to their assignments, but I'm looking. I've got a I'm I'm on the senior staff. I'm I'm in the senior staff meetings. What do what do I need to do to make the kind of money you know to make the kind of money that my colleagues are making who were hired after me without a Bible de- college degree? Right? What do I need to do? Yeah. And in all sincerity, this, this brother looked at me and said, well, we, 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 we have to pay you what a black minister would make. He said, I'm quoting him. It, would be, it wouldn't be right to pay you above your community. This right? isn't a church. This isn't a church. This is the administrator. Mm-hmm. And I went to the senior pastor and said, hey, is this right? And of course, his his words were, "Oh, he didn't mean anything by that." Mm. Right? Don't. And I and I tell people to this day, now, so much I don't believe this guy was a racist. I don't. Right? And this church was saying, "But look, we've done what no other church has done. So you can't accuse us of racism. We hired you. Mm-hmm. They were not racist." They had done racially mm-hmm. what no one else has done, but there was something, a mindset, mm-hmm. and it was systemic through the organization where it was fair, it was right, it was justified to play the, pay the black person 
less than the white person because my community in my community, right? But he said his word, your community, that blacks were not worth as much as white people. No, no racism. They were racist. They had hired a black person. And so graduated from there, uh, started, I mean, uh, went from there, started a Christian school. Um, same area of, of same area. Alabama. My wife, okay. my wife was the, was the, because we had come to the conclusion for our children that a Christian, that the, the, our children in Birmingham were receiving such a poor quality education. And then they didn't just the education, but their lives that we had to become like our, what we were to our own children. We had to become their principal teachers. And so we went into Christian schooling, not with, the, of, with a Christian school mindset from a historical Christian schooling mindset, but for, more from an interventionist. This is how we can intervene in the lives of these children, provide them with a quality education that will alter their life trajectories because we knew the trajectory that they were on we called it a collision course with failure. Mm. And so here we would come in between the children and their destinies and provide them with a Christ-honoring education mm -hmm. in the same way that Jesus. Well, what we discovered in Birmingham about the children of Birmingham, we realized it was a world, it was a nationwide phenomenon. In 1998, uh, Ed Week, Education Week produced an article, produced a publication, a dedicated issue entitled The Urban Challenge. Mm -hmm. And in that publication, they said that there were 575 urban school districts in the nation serving 11.6 million children and not a single school district was considered, was considered academically successful, not a single one. Wow. Throughout the nation. And I said, wow, now we're looking at 11.6 million children who are on a collision course with failure. I wrote a proposal to the Association of Christian Schools International with this essence of what if we, the people of God, establish a Christ-centered school in every one of these urban districts? Mm. And what if those schools were only serving a hundred children. Mm -hmm. Our school was serving 300 children at the time. What if these schools were only serving a hundred children? I said, there would be nearly 60,000 children who would come under the influence of Jesus Christ yes. and receive a life altering yes. education. We could change. What if there were two schools? What if those schools were serving 200? We have that capacity. I was invited to share that with the board. The board of ACSI embraced that. Uh, I'll never forget when I was at, at home, I received a letter from the president of ACSI that, uh, wow, an unusual thing has happened. The board has voted unanimously, not just to create a position, but to establish an entire department dedicated 
to oh. this whole matter of uh, what we were calling urban schools uh, back then. Invited me to head it up. I did the Jonah for a while. <laughs> uh, it was nothing in me. I said, this city was, I, I, I didn't even know city this white existed, you know what I said? And so, but eventually, just like that uh, incident where the Lord sent me to Bible college, it was clear this was the next step. And uh, so nearly 22 years, 22 years ago, I accepted that and, and have been here uh, doing, working in that capacity. Uh-huh. But it wasn't a matter, it hasn't been just a matter, and, and I cannot tell you how many schools that we have helped to start. It would, it would be over, well over 100 schools in all of this time. But the biggest challenge has been Taking schools like the like you know the the large predominantly white Christian school and where people really have a heart, we want to become more reflective of the kingdom. We want our student population to include the boys and girls of different tongues and tribes and 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 and, and, and nations. And that process of bringing children in, you know, and becoming that, that has been perhaps our most consuming Mm -hmm. time activity uh, in that regard, because it really, as you know, very, very well, Sister Jenny, you've been doing this for a long time too. That it is, uh, it is not just a matter of opening your doors. Hey, whosoever will may come. You're welcome here. And then when these, when these babies get into this school, we realize, whoa, yeah, that is, it's not business as usual. No, we can't do schooling like we have always done schooling, yeah. right? And and uh, my wife and I have worked with dozens literally dozens of schools in this regard. And uh, some of them have made missteps, uh, right? We've seen schools toppled Mm -hmm. because they did not handle this process uh, well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we have been doing mostly is working with those schools in this whole matter of making the adaptations. Because what our schools want, they won't say it this way, but the schools want really is assimilation. In other words, you come and you embrace our ideology, our cultural ideology, our racial ideology, our political ideology, our national ideology. You come and you just blend right in. And the only thing we would have is optics, right? It looked like we got diversity, but we really don't have a, it's, it's, it's still mono. We want it to be monocultural. We want it to be mono ideological. 
right? In ide moral ideology, right? We believe the same. We vote the same. We believe the same about America, et cetera. And <laughs> when that doesn't work, you know, it becomes very, very disruptive. And we mishandle it. And my biggest concern, going back to my core, is this. And it gives the people the wrong, it gives the people the world a wrong impression about our God. Right? It really does. And it and it can result in his name being blasphemed. So that was an extremely long introduction, but <laughs> it was beautiful. And it was just the the personal experience and how it gave rise to this this desire to have schools that meet all our kids. I think Brian Stevenson was one that really impacted me when he said, we never blame the students, right? right. You, you, the students aren't the ones at fault here. It's, right. it's the other ones. And so how do we best meet the needs of all of our students? Um, and so one of my things that I've been a little passionate about recently is as we look at diversifying our schools is the, definitely the student care, but also that faculty and staff care. I'm white and I'm the only white person I know in this role. Um, everybody else I know is an underrepresented uh, people group. And so I've often, I'm often trying to provide a place um, for them to wrestle with things that are being, that are happening in their schools that feel very personal. Can you help us better understand how we can come alongside our black and brown brothers and sisters in Christ who are leaders in our schools or just educators, not just educators, they are educators are impacting our students. How can we better come alongside them and support them in this? Yeah, you know, the what, what we discover over the years, and by the way, uh, fast forward, I've been doing this for 45 years now. And just for your audience, Friday night, December 31st, midnight, I'm no, retiring. I'm not listening. I'm not, listening. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not paying attention. And I tell everybody, check your local listings. They're going to be fireworks. <laughs> you're not, you're just not, I'm, I'm counting on you not leaving us. You're still doing the work. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm retiring from ACSI. Yes. Sure. But, um, <laughs> but I tell you, but what has to happen, and I say this to administrators, in the hiring process, what has to happen, if there's going to be any hint of longevity, any sense of a longevity, not just longevity for the sake of staying, but for the sake of effectiveness, mm -hmm. that is that there has to be an advocate. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, you, you've heard of this when, when uh, the a child who's the first one of first minority, minority child, first one in their family to go to college, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, first generation. And, right, first generation to go to college. And they say, well, what, what, what? The thing is not college going, it's college graduation. That's the rate we really want to look at, right? Because you go, but if you don't finish, and so, I mean, research shown that the children who have advocates, right? And so that was the, why this group developed this whole concept of posses. You don't just send one child. You have, they have to be, they have to have somebody. And what was the, what was salvation for our daughter in this is that this advocate, you know, and both in her high school, it's interesting, we put her in a, 
when we put her took her out of the Christian school because of these issues of, of 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 race, my daughter was coming home crying every day. I didn't discover it until way late. And when I did discover it, uh, how she was feeling, how she'd been treated in her Christian school, uh, we pulled her out. Mm, put her so in so. a public school. She had an advocate. She flourished in her Christianity. I mean, I mean, this this is not a child who's gathering in Bible studies with her classmates, et cetera, in public school. And so this, and, and when it says the group say these children, they call them a posse. They they have to have an advocate if they're going to survive in this different cultural setting, whether you know. Nobody in our family has ever gone to college. So how are we going to tell this child, how this child is going to have any kind of sense of what college uh, is, is like? And so the survival rate goes up exponentially when there is advocacy. They have an advocate for them. And so what I'm telling, what I've told the number of directors of diversity that I've been working with, I've asked the question, well, who's your advocate? Right? I love that. Who, who, who could you say this person, and you have to look at the degree of their voice of influence, right? This person is in my corner and they, I, I could I could be as open with them. They check on me. They understand that I am in this foreign land, this foreign <laughs> position, et cetera. And I don't have to whisper. Yeah. You know, I, I told every person I've said, I told when I came here, I said, I'm something right now. If you're going to study about me, I don't whisper. I love it. I don't, I don't I say, I say, you know what? If somebody comes to you and say, Bernard said, I said, yeah, and here's what else I said. <laughs> but they don't feel like they have to, you know, but the people who go into this in isolation. Yeah. You know, when Bill Bright did the four spiritual laws, that's what he said in terms of fellowship. He said, if a, if a log rolls off the fire, right, in, in, the, fire, in, the, in the fireplace, the log rolls off by itself, it goes out quickly. But if it's there with other logs, and so they're going to need my strongest urging is that for survival, they're going to really, really need an advocate. Now, preferably the advocate would be internal. Mm-hmm. But if they don't have that internally, they're definitely going to have to have an external uh, uh, somebody. But I'm here in Colorado Springs. When I arrived, there were 150 international ministries headquartered here. Oh, Kind of like the ministry Mecca. Yeah. Uh, there, were, there was a network of us, those of us who worked for these predominantly white, mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm saying predominantly for your sake, Sister Jenny. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these Don't predominantly, Don't these predominantly white organizations. <laughs> and get this, 
the average tenure was two years, mm -hmm. two years. And uh, well, I'll never forget meeting with one brother who worked for a mega uh, Christian organization here. And he said, well, Bernard, you know, like you got experience. I'm, I, think, I think you might last a little longer than two, uh, than two years. And why? Because you're the only one. You really, you, 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 you're brought in for sincere reasons. But people are wired to make it where we really want this more for optics. Why? Because the optics, the, the optics in itself doesn't cost us anything. And then there is this, like I've said, every single one of my colleagues here, with the exception of one, um, they 18 months to two years is how long they last. So sorry. In these uh, in these kind of positions. And let's say why? Because they don't have that. Mm -hmm. When those differences become manifest and there's not an advocate, an interventionist mm -hmm. to send in, hey, this is what it is all about. Mm -hmm. We're going to we're committed to this. This is reflective of the heart of Christ, just like he embraced the Samaritans just like he embraced Zacchaeus, just like he sent Paul to the home of Cornelius, these folk who were considered unacceptable in every way to the people of God, Jesus embraces. Why? Because that's the only way you're going to win people, and it's reflective of his heart. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, there's, and so if you don't have that, if you don't, and, and you know, and I, and I told him, I see, and I've, I've survived this for 45 years without assimilating. I just said this to the head of my organization recently. I've said it a number of times. He's reminded me. <laughs> he said, <laughs> he said, I've heard this ad nauseum. <laughs> I said, I don't assimilate. Fine. You know what? You, you shouldn't want to assimilate. He said, Well, if you don't assimilate, then you're always there's always this friction, this this and 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 that's why you don't get absorbed into them. I said, but once you assimilate, you've lost your diversity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's no longer a diversity of ideologies, a diversity, and yet the love of Christ transcends. All of those differences. That's the power of Christ at work. Show that. And um, but they think, well, we want we want superficial diversity, we want soft diversity. But you know, when uh David uh, asked Aruna to buy his his land so he could offer a sacrifice to God. This man, they love David. So I'm like, hey, we'll give it to you. And David said, God forbid that I should offer him a sacrifice that does not cost me anything. See, we, we're like, we want cheap discipleship. We want cheap diversity. Diversity that does not cost us anything. <laughs> and he said, at that point, you don't have diversity. 
Yeah. Right. And that's important to understand that and to make sure that you have somebody who understands that with you. Yeah. And so I suggest the loop 14. And when I talk to these heads of schools who are asking me for recommendations, you know this, Jen, you've done this long time, a lot of with a lot of folk. I ask them, I, I, I bring the loop 14. Are you prepared to pay the cost? Mm-hmm. It's going to cost you. It will. Right? You're, going, you're setting out to build a tower. It's going to cost you. Are you prepared to pay the cost? And here's what needs to happen. You can have in your mind that we want to build a tower like this. I'm just sure. But when it comes down to it, we say, wait a minute. That costs too much. Therefore, you have to do one of two things. You have to either abandon the project or you have to adjust mm-hmm. the <laughs> size of the tower you're, you're, you're going to, to build here. The, co- the question that needs to be is, are you prepared? You're setting out to do this. It is going to cost you. It will. And so, but I've discovered that when Cynthia was working with the, with the school that uh, she served on the task force, and they were just chucking along. They were just really going, oh, we're going to diversify, we're going to diversify. Next thing I know, there's no activity. And so I'm wondering, has Cynthia been put off the task force? What, what's happened? It went from just... <laughs> A lot of activity. I mean, whoa, she was meeting regularly. They, this person was uh, going here and there. You know, we're going to do this. Uh, sometime later, we had lunch together. He said, I had to completely back away. He said, my board revolted. He said, the teachers revolted. The parents revolted. And he said, I was going to lose my job. Mm-hmm. He had to completely back away from it and say, yeah, that's what I mean by counting the cost Mm -hmm. in this. And uh, otherwise, you're going to set out to do it, realize that you don't have the resources, including the support Mm -hmm. of your stakeholders, your community in this. And you find that you... uh, you, you you completely back away from it. Otherwise, it runs the risk of, see, like I said, that we've seen in some situation where it completely destabilizes the school and it topples. For me, what is inspiring and also disheartening at the same time is this idea that as Jesus said, you know, that, that, that we're unified so that the world knows that we were sent from him and that we are a reflection of God. And so they wonder what's different about them. Yet for many of us, the cost is too high. And so that's, that's where I have a passion to see the diversity that God has created unified so that the world looks at us and says, wait, that's different. different Amen. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's just the piece that as we, as we count the cost to understand that, yes, it's about our community, but it's much bigger than our community. It's, it's about the body of Christ and it's about that witness of who God is and who Jesus is. So, yeah. 
And, you know, let, let, let me just uh, toss a wrench into this, because I've been, uh, you, you saw a reflection that I wrote recently as I've discovered uh, my ancestors, my daughter doing this extensive research on our ancestry. And so she, she in all of her, re I mean, this, <laughs> my daughter has been spending Hours when hours when hours. Oh, uh, we be, we'd be on the phone for four or five hours as she's getting into all of this uh, information. So she discovered the slave registries mm -hmm. for uh, my great grandparent on my um, mother's father's side and my great great grandparents on my mother's mother's side she we actually discovered the slave registry um i would say and what and what here's what gripped me about that because the slave registries did not list the name they only list their sex their their sex their age and their color whether they were black or mulatto and so but when you go down and then they listen, and the only reason they do that is because of the what the Constitution stated as the three fifths compromise, right? That for every five slaves that they own, they got to be counted as three individuals for the purpose of representation and taxation, right? And that's the only reason they list that. So they don't have to list names, they just have to list. That here and here's their age. When you go down that registry, I'm gonna tell you here's what here's what moves move me to tears. Okay, here's 65 year old and in, in the my on my mother's mother's side, the Stedemeyer family, the Stedemeyer farm in central Alabama. They had uh, 40 slaves. My great grandmother. And my great grandfather, great great grandmother, great grandfather listed on that registry. But you go down and you see one year old, <sighs> half year old. You know, they don't listen like what they don't say one, they say six slash twelve, which is a six one point twelve, which is a one month old. Mm -mm. And I said, wow. And all those babies had to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Because I understand this. They were bred. They were bred for a life of servitude. Yes. And I say, and, you know, that's all they have to look forward to. And I ask them, what manner of humanity? What and to do that now, now it gets even worse because these folk were Christians. Yeah. These were these folk were, were introduced Christianity <laughs> to that. And again, but but Jesus wouldn't have. Jesus said he came to set the captives free. So how do you introduce Christ to people? That you're holding into captivity, and Jesus introduces himself as one who came to set captives free and to liberate the, the oppressed. But anyway. But that's why they created the slave Bible, right? 
It's a form of Christianity that is not Christ-like. And, and when that happens, we're back at Romans chapter 2, Sister Jenny, where we started with this, where by the name of God would be blasphemed among the Americans because of our behavior. They don't see us loving with the love of Christ, the power of God that transcends the differences in these schools. That's what that's what power is. You don't don't bring the students in and say, "Hey, you need to now be, behave. You need to believe. You need to have the same ideologies as the as the rest of us." That's not. It doesn't require power. That doesn't require a God explanation. You don't need God for that. Yeah. But if you're going to bring folk in with all of these differences, not just racial, the ideological differences, the cultural differences, their political differences, all of these differences, and the love of God is in play. The love of God transcends the differences. It doesn't do away with differences. Jesus didn't do away with the Samaritans being Samaritans. Cornelius didn't have to stop being a a a a a, a Roman a, a Roman centurion, a Greek, a Gentile. He didn't have to stop being a Roman rather. He didn't have to stop being that. Zacchaeus didn't have to stop being a chief tax collector. Jesus transcends the differences. And when you transcend the differences, that's when the Samaritans are transformed and become believers. That's when Zacchaeus' life is transformed. If I've wronged anybody, I'm going to restore it fourfold, and I'm going to give half of what I have now to the poor. That's when Cornelius and his family, they transcend the differences of the Holy Spirit falls upon them. Amen. And a whole family of people converted. When we transcend the differences, then we become transformative. Mm -hmm. But if our goal is assimilation so that there are no differences, the world sits up and look at that and they say, oh, so you threw down that rod and it turned into a serpent and you're impressed? Look, we could throw down our rods and do the same thing. And they say, we well, Sister Jenny, and is that all your God has? Is that all he's got? Right? That's the best that he can do? It's the work in situation where there are no differences? The name of God becomes blasphemy. We, we deny him, his people with our actions the glory that is his. They need to see us transcending the differences so to the point, he said, well, Bernard, what would that look like? And I said, like Cynthia and I were told <laughs> over 40 years ago, what does it look like? It looks like when the differences make no difference. I love that. Right? <laughs> When the differences 
-hmm. We can have our differences. We can have our ideological differences. We can have our racial differences, our cultural differences. We can have our differences. But let me tell you something. When the love of Christ is present, Mm -hmm. it transcends those differences Mm -hmm. to the point where those differences make no difference. That's That's what we're striving for. Yeah. A place of belonging with all of our differences. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Dr. Gant, as always, I am can't express how grateful I am for you for going before all of us in this work, for all that you have um, have done as a mentor, as um, a brother, but then also as a forerunner that has helped pave the way for us who are now coming behind you. And so I'm mortified that you're retiring. I'm excited for you. I'm, I'm quite upset for us, but I don't I'm counting on you not leaving us. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That's why I, I qualify this, Sister Jenny. I'm retiring from ACSI. Perfect. So we can still count on you. I know that anytime schools contact me about starting this work and they say, who's the best speaker to bring in as we start this work, I always recommend Dr. Gant. He gets it going. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful to spend this time with you, learning from you once again. And um, if anybody wants to reach out, feel free to contact me and I will get you in contact with Dr. Gant. I'm grateful that you were willing to listen and be part of our conversation. As always, I feel like I learn more in these conversations and I hope you do too. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Gant. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Grace 360. As always, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes and are not intended to be divisive or inflammatory in nature. We hope you listened and learned as much as we have in the process of producing the show and pray you'll join us for our next episode. You can find us on social media. We would love to have you as part of our discussion with your thoughts and questions. Once again, Thank you for listening to Grace 360.